Welcome to the Game and Gadget podcast number 22. And of course, today I have with me Tony Warren. Thank you again for joining us, Tony. You're welcome. One of the co-founders of Revolution Software, who's just successfully got a book through Kickstarter, which is always quite a feat. So we'll go into that in more detail in a moment. And also, we have Aaron Fothergill. How are you, sir? Good, good, good. I haven't got a book to plug tonight, so it's not quite like Wogan, but... (laughs) (laughs) This is your life. But we'll talk about your life in a moment, Ian, because you've had some vast development experience of various platforms, some more obscure than others. But in terms of topics for today, um, yeah, let's start with Mr. Warren's book. So, Revolution, the quest for game development Greatness is the title of the book. And at the end of it, you had 619 backers pledging £31,809, which probably a month ago would have been worth more due to the exchange rates, but still. I don't say that. (laughs) (laughs) But that's a good chunk of dough. So first of all, congratulations, Tony. Well done. That was uh, no small feat at all. So what in reality does that mean now you've hit that target? What comes next? Uh, Well, the big thing is printing. Um, I mean, the thing about the book is it's slightly crazy in that it's it's 600 pages of, and and like 200 of them are photographs. So it's it's like incredibly expensive to print. I mean, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't get, it wouldn't get through a normal publisher in this form because it's too it's too expensive. You know, they would say take the take the pictures out and make it into a normal book. Uh, so, I mean, the whole the whole thing is, I mean, the premise was the, the only way this could be done like this is through is through a crowdfunding type thing. You know, where it's where it's um, something that people people uh, you know the middlemen are all cut out and and you you know that you're you're funding something that's expensive to create. You know. So um, you know that was the premise, and the and the thing will be um, bl- bloody nice, you know, and it really will be uh, when it's printed. But yeah, I I, I look at the the quotes for printing, and, and it's pretty scary, you know. So um, I mean, it doesn't make a lot of commercial sense, but you know, it's it's the it's the thing I wanted to make, and I've, I've done it, you know. So um, yeah, I mean, it was it was lucky really that it did as well as it did um, because the the. You know, there was the there was the minimum pledge thing, the, the, whatever it was that you have to meet. I mean, that that was absolute minimum. Uh, it would have been if it had just met that, it would have been it would have been a bit a bit tight to say the least. Um, you know, where it where it finally got to, it kind of makes kind of makes sense. But I mean, it's not it's not going to be profitable in any way. But you know, it, I can do it, and there won't be a problem. You know, so uh, it, it's just about it's just I wanted to do the book. I did the book. It'll be really nice. Um, there, there it is, you know, and it, and it did it did do well, you know. It could have it, you, you don't know what it's going to do. It could it could have it could you could have sold it could have sold like one copy to my parents. That's like the, the minimum, you know. Or it could have like Oprah could have been a secret secret fan of Revolution and tweeted about it, and it could have sold a million copies, and we'd have had to start manufacturing uh, building warehouses to put the books in. You know, that's the other. We're going to say there was a book under that's the one, chair for a minute. Those, um, beware what you wish for things. Uh, yeah, exactly. When you get just enough orders, is it, you know, you've got this case. The, the other problem with, with um, producing a book, and, and I know this one from experience of some of other people's books of distributing them, is that they're heavy things. 
and someone sends you a box of books to ship somewhere and it takes forever to kind of unbox them and pack them and it costs a fortune to post them and, it, and that was a long time ago that used to cost a yeah, fortune yeah. to post them now it's silly well that's, um, that's that's a part of it because I mean, these these things i mean i'm gonna i'm gonna actually order a thousand of them probably because they because that's what i have to do with the, the the pricing you know like i can't order 600 because it, mm. it's double the price of like a thousand so i'm gonna i'm gonna probably order a thousand and and like what's the volume <laughs> what's the physical volume of that it's going to be i don't know it's probably going to be two pallets worth or something like that you know so i have yeah, to figure it's out what I'm doing. it's big because it's a thick yeah, book yeah. as well it's a lot of pages yeah, yeah. I saw. well the book, the book weighs two kilograms so you know mm. and a thousand okay. times a thousand so, so two so two tons of books <laughs> two yeah. metric tons of books what's the floor what's the strength of your floor in your flat like then tony uh <laughs> well it's more it's more a case of what's the what's the size of the floor in my flat and, and probably yeah. not probably I'm, I'm gonna i'm gonna buy my parents dinner fairly soon <laughs> <laughs> and ask them what's in their garage and front and spare room you know <laughs> so I, I now know what everybody's going to be getting as christmas presents for the next 10 years <laughs> yeah <laughs> Probably, yeah. <laughs> so, the thing, uh, thing is, you're right, though, getting the volume of, of them. Um, you know, you've got the, the initial Kickstarters, and then as long as you can get some sort of reasonable plugging for it, um, shifting the other ones, that becomes basically your pension because you just keep selling them out as, as well. As long as you make a profit on those, you're okay. Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, the, uh, I mean, uh, I- I'm saying it myself, but I think I think the book is quite good. So uh, when when people from the Kickstarter get it uh, and 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 say and, and read it and stuff, I think it won't be difficult to to sell the other ones. I mean, we'll mm. have to sell them slightly more for slightly more money um, than the than the Kickstarter ones. Um, but I still think it'll be you know, there'll be there'll be like 350 of them to sell. I think I think, I think I generally speaking, this this is back to my old what I have gradually had hammered into my head as commercial sense from various people because I'm I've always been very bad at the, the business business side of things. But the one thing is you sell it for as much as you can sell it for. So so you've got the Kickstarter price, and that's because everyone put their faith in you and backed you. They get the cheap price. When you're selling them post Kickstarter, there's two reasons for selling them as much as possible. One is that the people who bought it on Kickstarter will be annoyed if you sell it too close to their price. Yeah, and yeah. the other one is you want to make as much money as possible off it. So yeah. you know it, it's um, you know you, you sell it for whatever it will go for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, it's, it's a good book. It's worth it. It's uh, you know it, it's a it's a subject matter that's going to make, be interesting to people you know and and like you say once you've got the positivity from a few people reading the you know the, the kickstarter version you should shift them you know yeah it should be right should be right get retro gamer to review it if they haven't already <laughs> yeah i'll send them a copy yeah <laughs> and you've got many more backers for the hardback version than the digital one which i guess mm. was- says to you because i know originally you were thinking i'll only do the hardback version because it's nice to have something to hold etc and i think and later date for okay we'll do digital as well it's probably going to be a market but actually the people who only had the digital is actually a very small number that sort of vindicates that real books are still a thing i, I was quite surprised actually i mean i thought 
I mean, I was very worried about the PDF. I didn't want to do it at all. Um, and people persuaded me that I should um, because it would be half of the it'd be half of the pledges. Um, and it wasn't at all. So I mean, I'm quite pleased about that. Um, it means but this better in physical form. So um, you know, what was the difference in price? Well, the PDF was it was excruciatingly expensive at twenty five quid. Um, but you know, it had to be really. Yeah, it's the content still. You know, you you, you, t- you take off the, the the physical costs, and, and then you're not far off anyway. So um, mm, yeah, and you know, I mean, it, it's the right price to put it at, but uh, the you know there were surprisingly few takers, which is good. Mm. Forty one, yeah, just forty one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I thought people would be keen to avoid the shipping problems, but um, but but no. I thought we know this 41 may have been in some obscure location where you're thinking they'll never ship it here. <laughs> yeah, well, I, that actually almost put me off the hardback. But what I'm thinking is I'll let Tony know to, to hang on to my copy for next time I'm in the UK and then I can post it to me there. <laughs> well, uh, funny, the funny thing is you're, you're the test send, actually, for, for European um, postage. So, um. <laughs> oh, no, because it's, it's not the postage that kills it for me. It's receiving it in Spain, and France has a similar thing with their post office. Anything coming from um, outside the EU, it's an automatic 10, 20 euro clobber on top of the tax. It's a handling fee. They automatically charge. And they actually, when the postman actually delivers it to you, he, he wants it in cash there and then. And mm. that or my local postman is a really clever con artist. Um, I, I think he might be, yeah. Uh... But no, it's, it's, a, it's a thing. I mean, people have been getting... When some, someone's uh, daughter sent her a Christmas card and used a jiffy bag instead of an envelope because she didn't want it to get bent or damaged, and because that counted as a package rather than just a letter, it was an automatic ten euro handling charge. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to. I'm going to have a lot of this, I, I guess. Yeah, yeah. So, so yeah, I, I'm I, wherever I can. Anything I'm ordering from the UK now, I try and keep in the uk until i can pick it up at some point on my travels <laughs> yeah yeah now i'm actually traveling again yeah <laughs> yeah you went to canada yes yes it was interesting <laughs> it was fun um it was it was calgary so it was weird compared to i don't know i don't i mean you know it's the first time i've been to canada so maybe the rest of canada's that strange but it was it was an interesting place yeah 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 I, I um, quite liked it, but uh, it, it, yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of a weird America, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I mean, Calgary. I it was kind of like it felt to me like New York, but with a bit more healthcare um, <laughs> <laughs> and a few more yeehaws. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, and, and yeah, and less extremes of um, social um, deprivation. Um, not really. No, not really. No, I mean, there was there was less extremes than I saw in San Francisco. San Francisco, it was oh, literally yeah. the, the few blocks I walked from my very very cheap and grotty motel to the Moscone Center. I went past soup kitchen lines and and charity shops with um, bars on their windows and, and stuff, you know. Um, and uh, up until the Moscone Center, which is like the super rich area and stuff, so that was quite impressive. New York was a bit more balanced. Um, and the reason I think I didn't see that much in the way of poverty in New York is because New York had a habit at the time of every now and again just clearing all the homeless people out of town and dumping them somewhere out of town. San Francisco. Um, 
yeah and uh whereas i don't think calgary does that so you know they may be a bit nicer on on that but uh, everyone was everyone was genuinely generally rather nice there it was, it was quite good although the, the um uh actually went to a circle k which if any any bill and ted fans will kind of like oh circle k if, if, if you're outside of the us and on canada of course you've never been to a circle k you've just seen it on bill and ted you know and um so of course oh a circle k cool you know i'm waiting for the telephone booth to arrive and everything <laughs> and um there's one near the near near the, where my friends were and, and um I, I popped in and the door was off its hinges and it's because some junkie had come in that morning and ripped the door off its hinges as he was kind of arguing about something. <laughs> Gosh. So, um, yeah, kind of like America, you know, in some aspects, but, but, um, yeah, gen- generally it was, it was rather nice. Yeah. Just, and not cold as well. I managed to get there just before it went freezing. Uh, it was snowing when yeah. I was there. Yeah, it was literally, I got back and a week later it was snowing. Um, so I think I was, I dodged a bullet there. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, so uh, talking of windows, um, let's talk about arcade windows to get us back on topic a little bit. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, sorry, yeah. <laughs> so I was trying to think about what the first arcade machine I ever used was, and it's Actually, when I think of the gaming history of the stuff I actually owned in-house, I, I can remember my first sort of gaming device in the home was Pong, which the good old paddles and the beep, 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 and yep. all that stuff. But the arcade machines, I don't think I ever had much of an opportunity to, to have sort of the 8-bit era stuff. It actually was 16-bit type era. Outrun wow. was actually my first arcade experience, which I just had at the local pub. And that's not far off before the arcades pretty much died. Well, there we go. I got yeah. on board just at the right time. <laughs> it was but, a very short window. Yeah, yeah talking of windows. Um, but yeah, Outrun, I remember very specifically in the novelty of sort of being very young, kneeling up on the tippy toes of my feet and then holding the steering wheel and having this low and high gear at the side and the novelty factor alone. But the graphics, compared to anything you might have had at home at the time, were far superior. It just felt so futuristic. And then not long after that, my parents actually were renting a building which they had as a cafe. And at the cafe at the front of the building, in like the front area where people would eat, was an arcade machine, which was very nice for me. And for 20p, I could play Golden Axe. Oh, I date it in just, just in the amount of money. Date yeah, 20p. Automatically. 20p. Yeah. <laughs> Try going to an arcade and spending 20p now to play a game where you're actually doing it for well, actually, it dates it for me because when I played, it was 10p. 10p? Well, okay. <laughs> yeah. See, inflation has always been a problem. Yeah. But yeah, my meager 20p, although it felt meager at the time, I popped lots of 20ps. I'd constantly go to my mum and dad and say, oh, can I have another 20p? I want to get a bit further in this game. And I was still young, so I hadn't quite got my gaming chops yet. But I did manage to complete Golden Axe on a single 20 pence piece all the way to the end. And then, of course, the Mega Drive eventually had Golden Axe as part of it. And it was very faithful to that arcade version of it. Even had a little bit extra at the end because it was quite actually a (laughs) short game, really. But it was pretty amazing having something at home that would be able to play an arcade-style quality. And that was always the appeal for things like the Mega Drive. But in terms of you guys, what what was your f- sort of first recollections of arcades? 
uh, I remember a racing game called Continental Circus. Ooh, Continental that, yeah. Circus. Yeah, yeah. It, it was meant to be called Continental Circuit, but there was a, it was a translation error. That was kind of an early outrun, and that was really good. Um, mm. I remember playing that in Hull. There was another one. There was like a, a, a Gallagher-type thing. It was called Truxton or something like that. Truck, truck something, I'm sure. We used to play a lot of that kind of thing. Uh, mm. Late 80s, yeah. Yeah. Well, the first one I played as an actual arcade machine was was actually Space Invaders, a proper green screen with the band of oh, plastic yeah. to change the colour Space Invaders yeah, yeah. Uh, when we were on holiday in Cornwall. Uh, but yeah, the yeah. oldest one I played was Space War. I actually played uh, a proper ve- vector graphic Space War, an ice skating rink once um, when I went on a school trip to an ice skating rink, and they had, a, they had Space War there, and I've never seen it. And I thought, that's weird. And it was a really good game. I'm, I'm, um, you know, it's, it it's, um, it's, one, it's one of the oldest computer games going. It even predates the home pong machines. Um, but um, it's, uh, yeah. That's really, really good one. Um, but yeah, you know, that was actually a later version of it, or whatever. It just it just happened to be in in the um, in, in in this ice skating rink that still sat there. You know. Yeah, there was always one in an ice skating rink. Mm. <laughs> um, yeah, there was uh, actually. Uh, I, I think at the swimming pool there was there was one called Tasmania. Do you remember that one? Uh, vaguely. Yeah. Um, yeah. Not not the not the based off the the Tas, Tasmanian Devil uh, Warner Brothers character Looney Tunes character, but another a separate one. I think so. Yeah. 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 I mean, the, the, a lot. I played a lot of the early early ones. The the my favourites were the cocktail cabinet ones. There's there's a space uh, an evolved Space Invaders that you could play two player, and it flipped the screen upside down each time you switched players. So you took it in turns to play, and uh, that was actually in color. Um, and the the bowling alley that we all frequented when, uh, when we were in Hong Kong had three machines as cocktail cabinets and one stand up or sit down machine. Something it's what they swapped that one out every now and again. So they were the the, the big deal kind of then, and um, and they did cycle the games between various sort of ones then. But we had the original uh, was it pole was it pole position the what the, the top down plan view scrolling car one where you're dodging between the cars as it scrolls um it, it, it was uh, that that was a, a classic um and and home home machines that's when we were playing stuff on apple too so it was less arcade quality stuff but there was a lot more unusual stuff uh, as well um, and early things are things like load runner and and uh, so on uh, and of course all the early text adventure games which of course you wouldn't get in arcades but Definitely. the other one is in Hong Kong, the arcades, you had this mix of mainstream uh, arcade machines and things like Space Ace was just coming out, um, uh, or Dragon's Lair, I think it was the first one out on, <coughs> excuse me, with Laserdisc. And then a whole bunch of these arcade machines that were basically Apple IIs reboxed in arcade machines with all the, all the things like all the Broadband titles and stuff as arcade games and, and the things you could put 10 cents in, or sorry, a dollar, because it was about 10p for the, for the Hong Kong dollar at the time, but a dollar in to play. Um, so there's this sort of knockoff arcade kind of thing going on. I mean, the beauty of arcade machines was that uh, the, the, the philosophy for, uh, of the design was the complete opposite of, of like 
AAA because you, you you had to get players hooked and completely into it immediately. Whereas, I mean, mm. when I buy, which I don't very often now, but every time I try and put, play a, a AAA RPG or something like that, which I think is going to be good, uh, I usually give up after about two hours of fighting with the UI and the menus and stuff that I don't understand and, and having played no game whatsoever so far, you know. Uh, and and I think I think that's just like bad design, but I mean deliberate, but bad design. And well, it, it, was, cable, um, it had to get you hooked, didn't it? Otherwise, you'd walk yeah, away and, 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 and it had to in. explain how to play it in a screen immediately. Yeah, yeah, you had to, you had to have a screen or a scroll, a little scroller that explained what you had to do while the game was in its attract mode. And if you didn't understand it from that, it wouldn't get you to play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean that that I mean that's the great design philosophy, I think. I mean that's that's mm. that's how we should be designing games, you know. It's like, it's a good exercise. I I, I did yeah. actually do it on some later games or actually tried that as a I mean I as recently as spinny wings on, on the iPhone, where you just have an attract mode that just shows what you're supposed to do. And and what the enemy who the enemies are and, and this kind of thing, they're just scrolling across with how, how many points they are. That, that, it's fun as an attract mode for starters. Um yeah, yeah. But uh, and it also, you know, gives you the general idea of what you're meant to be doing. And if um, the game actually is that easy, then then that's a win, isn't it? Exactly. Yeah. Because again, you can get straight into it. Um, the difference is, of course, that with with designing for, say, for instance, phone games, where you know, mobile games, where you you want again, you want the player to be able to get into it ridiculously easily again. But now you want to keep them there, so you keep it easy to keep them playing. Whereas arcade machines, you get them in as a, oh, look, this game looks really fun and easy to play. Bang, you're dead. Oh, another 10B. Bang, you're dead. <laughs> yeah, but the thing is, if, if you couldn't go too many extra 10 pences without succeeding, right? No, no. This, it was back to the classic game design thing uh, of, of basically a little bit of easing them in with a learning curve, you know, then a bit of coast, and then slap them with a bastard level. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and, and, then, uh, and then when you die, you you have another go, and it's fifty fifty if you're going to do it or not. And another ten mm. p, and you really got to do it. Otherwise, you go, oh, but it'll come back, and that's it. You've lost the player in the stream yeah. of money. So you, you, you've you've got to have that belief that you can beat it. Yeah, that that was the important bit. And, and then you and then your belief's got to come true. Mm. Yeah, yeah. Whereas this is what I didn't like about Dragon's Lair and Space Ace. It was basically die. Remember what you did and don't do that. <laughs> you know, or hit the button at exactly the right time. And it, it was it wasn't so much learning stuff as memorizing stuff, which is very different from, from other games. Yeah, I think that just did I mean it was different, wasn't it? It was full motion video, which at the time Yeah. You know, graphics were good, but this brought a level of flipping out. This looks amazing. This is like playing a cartoon. Mm. And you had to, like you say, if you didn't get the timing right, even if you knew the direction, you had to press on the controller, you're dead. Yeah. And it was yeah. really keep trying the same thing and knowing yeah. left here, forward here, I mean, right it, here, it had, down here. It had the other effect of arcade games at the time, which which was very good at, which is it was a very good game to watch over the shoulder. That was one of the other things that attra- attractions of certain types of arcade games that did well. Outrun was a very good one for that in that you could watch somebody else playing and it was fun. You know, even if you weren't actually controlling it, you, you could be there egging them on and enjoying it as well, um, which, uh, you know, was, was quite, a, quite a good thing with those. 
early early things of, of um, you know Twitch streaming. You know, where nowadays nowadays you just watch people online doing it. <laughs> but one of the main appeals about an arcade machine was yes, a lot had the joystick and the buttons, which isn't too far removed from having a game controller. But you know, the outruns had a steering wheel and a gear stick. Uh, flight simulators would have the sort of the flight yokes and whatnot. Yeah, Centipede had a trackball. Well, there you go. And some <laughs> of the motorbike ones, you actually sat on like a fake motorbike and leaned. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, you know, you, you couldn't get something like that easy in the house. So it was always a nice thing to experience, even if it was only to brief visit to the seaside. Hmm. Ah, good old Skegness and its arcade. Yeah. <laughs> Spent many a yeah. pound there. Pac-Man, of course. I love Pac-Man. Yeah, mm. Pac-Man, yeah. Although isn't Mrs. Pac-Man, or is it Miss Pac-Man? Yeah, Pac-Man? Miss, Miss Pac-Man was very, very, very clever. Basically, put a bow on the sprite and add a zero to the scores on the end. That's what they, they made, because at the time, score, scoring was a, a big deal. Uh, you were either a scorer or an explorer, and, and certain games were definitely scorer games, like Pac-Man especially. And... Um, you know, for Miss Pac-Man, they realised that players did actually like the whole thing of seeing they were being rewarded by getting a large score. So they quite literally, they didn't even actually change the, num- the, the numbers that were stored. They just graphically drew an extra zero at the end of the of the line, so that it looked like you had a bigger score. <laughs> dear, oh dear. And what was the obsession? Yeah. Do you think to have any time you would put enter your initials? It was always three characters. Yeah, because of storage. Yeah, it's quite simply, you, you, you wanted to have, ideally you wanted to have something that didn't take up too much memory. Uh, and if you wanted a lot of uh, you know, characters listed, I mean, in the early games, just, just getting a few characters, a few players listed was, yeah, you need to do a maximum of three bytes each. <laughs> in fact, they probably got it down to two bytes if they were sneaky. Um, but um, yeah, the, the, uh, it also became the other problem there is you've got to wait for somebody with a joystick and a button to scroll through characters and put them in. Do you yeah. want to do that for a complete name or with extra? Th- you know, later games did start doing six and eight characters. I mean, that, that's how my, my online nickname came about is because it fit within the eight characters of, of the game we played at the bowling alley. Um, and, and even later games started having things like uh, special characters like you know, like hearts and stuff, uh, kind of as well, because uh, that was extra bling. But every time you do that, you slow down getting the next person to put ten p in. Uh, there you go. You see, I knew you guys would know this. It, this sounds as terrible as when you're trying to use a virtual keyboard on those. You know, you got your smart device like your Amazon yeah. sticks or whatnot. <laughs> you got the virtual keyboard that pops up. Enter your email address, and then you really regret having a long email address. <laughs> Add your password, and then you realize you've got one of those generated passwords. So you've got yep. uppercase, you've got lowercase, you've got special symbols. It's a nightmare. So I'm so glad they've started now referring you to a link where you're signing on your phone, and then you just enter the correct code. That's much easier. But yeah, before they got to do that, they still absolutely don't support that feature. It's a horrible process. That makes a lot of sense for arcade machines where you want them to get off and let the next paying customer on. Well, what a lot of them started doing was they made the uh, score, the, the, the name entry entertaining. They, they did different, they tried, they experimented with all sorts of different types of ways of entering your three letters or eight letters or whatever um, to the point where that was actually quite pretty to look at. So it 
again, the more people you're pulling around you to look at the game, the more wanting to have a go. So even though it's using a little bit of time up that someone could be putting 10p in, you're getting, getting more people to put the 10p in. So, um, so there's probably a lot of, I mean, there's, there's, there's some of the guys who actually designed these uh, back then, probably a lot of extra psychology that, that they were thinking about. That or they just had a producer coming in and said, no, we want more money in. Work out a way of putting more money in. <laughs> I remember specifically the Sega Rally Championship one where you had the car and it would spin and the characters would spin in kind of a 360. And that's how you yeah. selected it with the, yeah, makes sense yeah. to me. And that was always like, ooh, this is, I almost want to play the game again to enter <laughs> the exactly. leaderboard regardless because it's fun <laughs> just to put my name in. Yeah. I, mean, I was lucky because um, when it was three letters, because you know, my, my, I don't actually have a middle initial. But I, I used the letter A. So I'm AA, and I just needed to change the last letter. <laughs> so I could just do it quickly. Because <laughs> they always defaulted to AAA. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's good. At least you had a chance maybe of getting on the leaderboards back then. Because when you think of how many millions of people are playing these games, if you want to be in the top yeah. 10, you can almost forget it, can't you? But at least oh, at the God, arcade, yeah. you, you may have had some fighting chance with a hell of a lot yeah. of practice. But nowadays... It's like, it's like, PUBG. If you've not been playing PUBG for since it since it came out, you're basically cannon fodder. You're you're, you're going there just to get shot at, and um, you're never ever going to win anything. You're just there to get shot at by the people who know what they're doing. Doesn't matter how much you learn, you're tough. They, they're always going to be better than you. <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, uh, I was ten years a freelance journalist, and I specialised in gaming and technology back then, and. That was before I had full-time employment where it was kind of, a, <laughs> you know, that's when it was more full-time. So I had time to play games. And I was pretty good back then. I was in like a, I mean, I'm dating myself here, playing Unreal, the original Unreal Tournament and I was in a clan and I was pretty good at that. But, you know, now I go on because I've got a full-time job. If I get a chance to play in an evening, it's a miracle. I mean, my wife probably pays my Xbox more than I do. But uh, regardless... I don't get the time to play that often nowadays. I probably will jump onto my Xbox for a little bit to play a single-player game or go on some of my retro stuff, like my Sega Mega Drive plugged in permanently. I'll still have a good go on that. And that's my 10, 15, maybe 20-minute blast in an evening if I get the chance. So if I, hmm. like you say, if you go onto an online multiplayer game and play like the latest Call of Duty or whatever, I'll do okay, but I'll literally I'll spawn dead. Spawn, a couple of seconds, dead. Hmm. find the weapon i've been searching for for the whole 10 minute round and then as soon as I collect the weapon dead <laughs> so, yeah so you're not going to be buying this new vr headset that one of the oculus guys designed that kills you if you die in game <laughs> did you know it's funny you should say that so i remember <laughs> trying a vr headset when i went to when i was in primary school and gosh when would that be that'd be pre-1990 yeah it'd be pre-1990 <laughs> And it was a really big, heavy thing, and it was very. It was just basic shapes, no textures, and you know it was really novel. But it was so heavy, this headset, and so huge. But you could see they were thinking it had some legs to be like a real future thing, and they were saying, "Oh yeah, in the next ten years, everyone will have a VR headset." I'm thinking, oh, "I hope it's not as heavy as this one." And then a couple of weeks ago, and I've not really tried VR since then. I've tried like the cardboard. Where you put your phone in, oh yeah, 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 which were amusing for a little while too. Uh, but my friend's got—I think it's the Oculus Rift—and 
it was a lot of fun, but I just couldn't imagine myself using it a lot. Given mm. the limited time I have amount to playing games as it is right now, having a VR headset is another thing, and they're not that cheap. They're <laughs> quite expensive, particularly the standalone ones. But, you know, it was enjoyable. It was nice. I played that Beat Saber where you got, like, lightsabers and you're hitting blocks to the rhythm of the music, but you have to swipe with your hand in a particular direction to hit these blocks. Great fun, but I think it, the novelty would wear off quite quickly. And I'd end up going back to just seeing it on my TV screen, sticking back comfortably on my sofa, which is yeah. why I think Connect, um, the motion controls for the PlayStation, and to a certain extent, the Nintendo were. I think it had its time, but it wasn't like this is the main peripheral to how you will play games. Or well, as Facebook is hoping, you'll use it for almost everything, including work, where you can have a fake three monitors in front of you. No, it's all right. Mm. I can have three real monitors in front of me. That's fine. Well, that, that was one of the complaints we had doing one of the uh, vision camera games for, for Microsoft for the 360 before the Kinect came out, was that people complained that they couldn't play the game in the dark. Yeah. Yeah, yeah of course not. It's, <laughs> Can't it needs see to it. see you. <laughs> it's like, you know, so that, that'd be the vision camera, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They, little they tiny thing, really. It was a nice yeah, little it was a, thing. it was a basic um, high-def um, web camera, really, um, just tweaked for, for the 360. And they, it was kind of a stopgap before Kinect came out because they, they'd already started working on Kinect, but it was, it was going to be a bigger project. So uh, they needed some stuff to come out for that. So, uh, and we'd already been doing the um, stuff for the FaceTime camera for, for, for Apple, for the eyesight. So um, and, and they they got us in to do some stuff for that, um, which was a lot of fun actually. I, 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 you know, the one thing about I was never a fan of Microsoft themselves, but the Microsoft Games team are actually been they're they're really you know good. They they know their stuff, and they actually play games a lot, which is important. You know, I think there's there's a lot of games companies that you, you kind of get the impression they don't play that many games. Mm. You know? No, that's one thing Microsoft has really going for it. I mean, a lot of developers say the support and the platform, mm. maybe less the Series X, which seems to have a little few problems at the minute in terms of PlayStation 5, which is meant to be technically on paper slower, can sometimes mm. outperform it, which is unfortunate yeah. when you're an Xbox owner. I'm not a fanboy, but still, you like, you like your console to be a little bit ahead if possible. But the Xbox Live... Yeah, I, I think the thing with me is it's always been a game-driven thing where I, I get the one that the games I want are on. And so far, nothing yet has persuaded me to buy a PlayStation since PlayStation 2. Um, yeah, it's it's generally all my, my favorite games seem to so far have been on Xbox. That's interesting. Um, I mean, there's, there's some really key titles I love on PlayStation, which are hard to give up. Although, thankfully, quite a lot of them are coming to the PC now, which is really helpful. But Horizon Zero Dawn is a great game. The Uncharted series is a great set of games. It, it depends what you're into. I mean, there's God of War. The later ones are really good as well. But on the Xbox side, although they've got the Halos and the Forza Horizons, they've really got a first-party game problem at the minute. They just haven't got enough titles coming out compared to Sony. And that's mm. something even Phil Spencer of the Microsoft ilk is saying in next year is going to be different. There's going to be many more first-party games, which it really needs. But yeah. do remember that Xbox Vision camera 
there was two things that was really useful. You could have your live video. So if you were playing like Uno on Xbox Live Arcade, you could have your video playing and actually see people as you're talking, which was a bit risky depending on who came and joined your game. um and then the other thing was you could get it to map your face a little bit and then that face would appear in the game yeah rainbow six did that very well Uh, exactly it was was actually useful in rainbow six because when you were playing it three player cooperative with your mates and you could look either side and know who's where and and it was just great you know that was a good thing fight night the boxing game did the same thing and i have to say it did actually look very like me, which was even more worrying when someone's punching in the face really hard and it did the super <laughs> yeah. slow-mo animation of going... <laughs> very weird to see a virtual James with that happening to me in slow motion. But there were other games that definitely didn't do that well where you'd get some really freaky results, which mm. unfortunately I never took any screenshots or camera shots of those days. But yeah, when it worked, it was great. But when it didn't, it was quite humorous. Yeah, yeah. But the, um, the, I think the killer feature at the moment for Xbox is, is still Game Pass. That's mm-hmm. the thing that does it for me. I've tried so many different games now on Game Pass purely because it's like, well, now what do I, what am I paying my money for? I've got to try something different. Yeah. <laughs> and the new Monkey Island's coming to Game Pass soon. Yes, yes. Yeah, which I haven't had the chance to play yet, so I'm looking forward mm. to that. What about you, Tony? What of your latest? I mean, you've st- you've got your Steam Deck. Have you had much time to play that like, for this board? I like the Steam Deck. None of this, none of this console stuff for me. I play, I play Xbox. I play Minecraft on the Xbox. That's it. Um, I like, I like my Steam Deck here. I'm playing Hobbs Hobbs Barrow on Steam Deck. And what's that about? That is a uh, it's the adventure game of the moment. Mm-hmm. Quite quite a nice little thing. Good. Good, good story. Very low, very low tech, which is good. You know, so all the efforts in the in the writing and the characters and and stuff. Yeah, it's quite nice. I only just started it, but but um, yeah, it's it's doing very well. Works perfectly on the Steam Deck. So uh, yeah, that's good. That's where I am. Yeah, I'm just Retro watching a little the excavation stuff. of Hobbs Barrow. That's it. Uh, is a folk a folk horror. Narrative-driven adventure. Explore the isolated moors of rural Victorian England as you uncover the mysteries of Hobbs Barrow. The answers lie in the soil. Blimey. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. It's nicely that done. Good. Very I like, nice. Game. I like the developer name, Cloak and Dagger Games. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, what have I been playing recently? I've just been playing my Mega Drive. I've been playing Schmups. I've not really played Schmups. On the Mega Drive, so I've just been going a few, a few, a f- through a few of those. Why did I pick that sentence? Through a few of those. I'll never say that again if I can avoid it. But I still love my Mega Drive. There's something about that 16-bit era, and I think it was playing Crackshot, and that was my first experience of playing 16-bit era games. I'd gone from 8-bit, and although you could recognise, if it was a cartoon character if it was Donald Duck or whoever else, you'd say, yeah, yeah, it's a fair approximation of what they'd look like if I watched the cartoon. But once I got to the Mega Drive, it was on a friend's. He had just the cartridge. He had no manual or anything. And just that one game for the Mega Drive. So while my dad was working, I played this Mega Drive. All day, pretty much. I had this one cartridge, so I put my cartridge in, and I turned it on. And, it, and lo and behold, there was what, to me as a youngster, 
Donald Duck, actual Donald Duck walking across the screen. And for me, it was like mind blown. So I must have played that game for eight hours with a small break for something to eat. And I was hooked and I kept getting stuck. I had no manual and I didn't realize you had to press the start button, which was the crucial bit of it uh, to get to change some of the options and to fly to different destinations. And then I couldn't figure out, oh, I must have skipped some of the conversation and didn't realize I was given a key. So I couldn't open the pyramid door, which came a little later. And it was just some silly things, but I kept persevering and oh, it was so good. And, uh, even now, I'll play that game over and over again because it's just fun and I'm going to do a video on it soon and have a bit of a sort of love fest of that sort of 16-bit era when those pixels could actually really represent something that looked like a, a cartoon. Mm. They had enough colours, they had enough pixel resolution and uh, it, it just looked great. It's so, a golden yeah, I'm still, I'm still stuck in 16-bit. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I mean, the stuff that Stu used to draw, you know, that, that, was, oh, yeah. that was so good. So good. I mean, the, the cannon fodder stuff. That I just wish they'd do something with cannon fodder. A cannon fodder three, four, whatever they want to call it. Just bring something back. Just do something. I look what they did with the Command and Conquer, with the very first one. They redrew the sprites and everything, but it's still sprite-based. It hasn't gone polygons yeah. or anything like that. I mean, and even just just releasing the two cannon fodders has just tidied up and re-released on current platforms just so we can play them again. You know, yeah. That, that, that's, that's the thing there, I think. Yeah. It would do, um, it would do very well, wouldn't it? And uh, you, hmm. you, could, you could do a special box edition, do 5,000 of them. You know, it would be... Yeah. It would be. It would make commercial sense. Perfect. Yeah, commercial I mean, sense. I'm sure. I'm sure. Even even without that, Microsoft would give them a large wadge of money just to put it on Game Pass and cover the cost of development and then some, probably. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh, it would do hugely yeah. well. Yeah, mm. yeah. I mean, I think. I mean, I, I really do think you can, you can go back to all these classic games and just continue. Yeah. As they were, just continue. You yeah. Know, you know, the point where they died because the fashions changed. You can go, you can you can reverse right back to that point. Continue as you were, with with good solid things, gameplay and stuff, and 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 it would be perfectly viable because people don't care about whether it's polygons now, do they? As long as it's good. The, the scary bit is um, um, my brother Adam showed me a picture today of the latest AI generation thing. It's AI generated pixel art. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, we've been playing with that. And it, yeah. It's the same. I think it's, it, it, he noticed as well, though. It's the same as most of the other AI-generated artwork. You can see where it's lifted stuff from the web. You know, um, mainly because it has the, the stock image text mangled across it a lot of the time. But but um, <laughs> a lot of them seem to be just training it off the web. And it, in fact, Microsoft's being sued over their AI stuff for um, for, for what's it called? Um, thingy Code Hub, whatever. Um, uh, GitHub. GitHub. Because they've got this AI-generated code completer that, that apparently you can oh, start coding it and it will actually give you code for what you're trying to do uh, without Clippy, which would be, make it worse. <laughs> but apparently, because it's essentially ripping code from everything that's on GitHub, including stuff that, that the, the, the rights for it are that you're, you're supposed to credit the author. And, of course, it rips the code while stripping the author details out. And it, or it's code that 
has to have other sort. Of, yeah. So so basically, even even the fact that it's trained on that, even if it's not using it, technically these guys threaten that's that's against the, their their um, license. So Microsoft are getting sued over it. So um, interesting. Yeah, lots of interesting ethics when you start doing all this kind of stuff. It's Blade Runner has started to happen. Is 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 it a real owl? You know. <laughs> <laughs> it's so of of your catalogue of games gents of which there've been many which is the one you feel like it's probably been a little underappreciated in the modern time we live in like you think would be great now to reintroduce looking at my bank balance i'd say all of them <laughs> <laughs> um no, uh, the thing is, you've got games that, that were underappreciated at the time, and games that you had personal favourites. And this is a, this is the thing. But there's also games that I've done that I probably wouldn't want to re- revisit just because they were a lot of hard work. And it, it's one like Jet Strike, for instance. A lot of people say, "Oh, you should do Jet Strike again." And, and I would kind of love to do Jet Strike again if someone was funding it, because I could never afford to do that again. Because, and, and the other problem is, it is a game which has 60 different aircraft from all actual aircraft from all around the world, of which nowadays about 50 of them, the manufacturers of them would be after me for a license fee, which they didn't used to do. And it started, like Grumman, one of the first ones who started coming after people for, oh, we want a license fee for our, our plane's image in your game. But it's from World War II doesn't matter it's got our name on it <laughs> uh, so there's this whole thing of a lot of games we used to do back then where you could quite happily have whatever you know fighter jet or whatever in it you just couldn't do nowadays purely because you wouldn't be able to afford it you know unless you had some stupidly enormous budget and didn't care about making a profit you know um so and, and again it's also the the problem with a lot of the games is it's like I, I'd like the, some of my older games. I'd like to do again, but I wouldn't like to have to try and make them marketable to make money in the current climate. In terms of how you'd have to make money off them, you know, I wouldn't want to monetize them the way a lot of stuff does nowadays. It just just wouldn't work. You know, it, it, it's just like the, the games are designed differently from 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 what you you know how you monetize. So. Um, there's there's a couple of games I didn't make, but I designed that I would like to do again. And there's a couple of those I've got in in the bag waiting for one day. You know, I'll get around to doing them. I definitely like to do Airburst properly again because that the 360 version of Airburst was brilliant. It was the de facto best version of it, and it never got released. Oh. Um, it, it it fell foul of uh, the Mr. Digger uh, debacle, where all of a sudden any games playing online had to have absolutely no lag at all. You know, somehow miraculously had to time travel all their packets back to make it all synchronize up perfectly, despite the fact that you know, other players in Australia or something, you know, um, it was a it was a big big fuss about nothing really, and um, it impacted all the other games in development at the time. And because it was network multiplayer, it just had to have complete and utter rewrite. And by the time we got to nearly getting it released, the iPhone had come along, and our publishers wanted us to do flip fishing, so. You know, they they said just we'll pay off whatever you spent on it. We just want you to do this. You know, 
So um, we had we had to just put it on hold, and it, and technically it was never cancelled. It's just been on hold for the last twenty years, <laughs> or however long it is. Two two thousand and seven is so that, yeah, fifteen years or something. It's been on hold. <laughs> Gosh, what about you, Tony? I don't know. I mean, no no particular game. I don't, I don't think. I mean, uh, you know, my my whole theme at the moment is 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 taking ideas and and styles from the old days and just carrying on. So, I mean, that's what I'm actually doing in real life. So, um, picking bits from old games and putting them on, into a, a more a more modern platform, but still two D. You know, with but without without the restrictions. I mean, that's 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 something I'm I'm interested in. Hopefully, hopefully, can find some some way of succeeding at it you know um so how far along with your shmup have we got now well my shmup's kind of changed it's kind of changed it's not a shmup anymore it's um, oh gosh that is a big departure then genre okay what's it now it's 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 more it's what it's what you'd call an action adventure oh okay (laughs) (laughs) the shmup is is parked the shmup might go back to the shmup but unity it was unity and i just i got i just got depressed by unity and decided to stop <laughs> so, <laughs> so it's parked i might go back to it if i'm uh, if, if i'm rich enough to to buy the graphics i'll need for it i'll, I'll revisit but then some of the ideas in it i'm pulling across into the action adventure anyway so um it's not completely it's not as wild as it sounds what i've done but yeah i've, 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 I've kind of switched switched genre a bit but that's what i do <laughs> Well, the good news, Tony, there's no time limit pressure on you. There's no publisher over your shoulder saying it's got to be out next week and there's no crunch. It's just you doing it at your leisure and you're enjoying it, hopefully, the process, rather if you change your mind or anything else. Yeah, yeah. Well, the the, the other goal in life, of course, is to not, not be publisher pressured. So, yeah, definitely. Well, it's been lovely talking to you, gentlemen. We'll have to do it again soon sometime. I'm sure if Stu is watching. He'll be very appreciative of mentioning Cannon Fodder again, as he did a lo- all the graphics for that game. So if you're watching, do hello. But otherwise, thank you everyone for watching the Game & Gadget podcast, and we will see you next time.